they had a really cool commercial <laughs> on the radios. De Felice has the pizza worth going after because they didn't deliver. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> The Book Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. You know, you know that, that version of our theme song is a little tricky because it adds a little extra book guys before when I have to read. So I almost got caught there. My name is Paul the Book Guy Elvis. Joined by my co-host, Jimmy Goots, all the way in North Carolina. How are you? Sir Jimmy, how are you doing? I am doing great. Better than the price of gas here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Craig Damlo, all the way in Seattle, how's the new house treating you? It's treating me good, but I am not doing as good as our minimum wage here. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's going up, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> nice. Nice. And uh, the only other uh, Canadian Canadianity content we have tonight is uh, Mr. Bernard Robichaud fellow Canadian in Moncton, New Brunswick. How are things? Good, man. Thank you very much for having me. Love having you on the show. Uh, Mr. Ray Greenlee, all the way in Harleysville, Pennsylvania. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it, Paul. Uh, great having all you guys. And and we have one more. We're going to think of do a record today for book guys. Uh, number one, two records we're going to do. One, me stuttering in the beginning of the show, the most. And number two is... Uh, that we're going to have six voices. We'll see if this works. And our sixth voice is Mr. Jim DeFelice. How are you, sir? Well, I'm very good, but, you know, to maybe to differentiate, I should talk in like a falsetto or something, and, you know, <laughs> this way we know who's talking. That's right. <laughs> I think we'll do no, it. Okay. I think I'll, I'll try just talking regularly. I think the, the listeners will figure yeah. it out <laughs> yeah. eventually, eventually, Jim. And, Jim, uh, this is your second time in the show as well. I believe you joined us with Mr. Codename Johnny Walker before. I did. Johnny, uh... Johnny and I, uh, <clears throat> we did a book called uh, Codename Johnny Walker, and we had a we had a lot of fun. And uh, you know, we've been begging to come back on, and we finally wore you down. Yeah. Uh, what I, do you say, Mister Mister Jimmy, uh, Mister Goots? Should we do a What are we reading? And go around here and see what's happening. We can do that. Let's do it. What's on your What's on your Kindle? What's on your... What's on your nightstand? What's on your fridge? What are you reading? What are you reading? They put books on fridges now, right? I don't know. I don't know. That's uh, coming. That'll be next. <laughs> Let's go around the table, guys. And I know some of you are really busy and probably, you know, didn't read something in the last week or so, but uh, we'll give it a shot anyways. Mr. DeFelice, is there anything on your on your fridge, your Kindle, your I, nightstand? There's nothing on my fridge. My fridge, <laughs> is, my fridge is clean and magnets don't even stick to it, but... Uh, I have been reading, I'm doing a book on the Pony Express, and I have been reading uh, a ton of things, not just about the Pony Express, but 
also uh, what was going on uh, primarily in the American West in that period. It's a really uh, important time. It's right at the beginning of the Civil War. And um, although uh, over the last couple of days I've been reading everything I can on Buffalo Bill Cody um, and kind of getting confused because it's very hard to tell what's true and what's not true. Right. He's like, uh, like, you know, Jimmy the Kid and all those uh, old West heroes. You know, half the stuff that's out there is fiction and some of it isn't. That's true. And some of the, some of the stuff that's actually true is more incredible than the stuff that's made up. That's what's, that's what's so wild. And I mean, Billy, okay, amazingly, Billy some kid. of the characters like Jimmy the Kid are completely made <laughs> yeah. up on the spot by Canadians. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jimmy the Kid. Come on. <laughs> I'll bet you there is a Jimmy the Kid. Well, there's a Pony Bob, so you know if there can there be a go. Pony Bob, there can be a Jimmy the Kid, or there should be a Jimmy the Kid. There should so. be, and and Jimmy could play him. Jimmy's got the there guns, go. anyways. I got him. <laughs> Safety always off. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Jim, what's uh, let's maybe uh, before we talk about what you, what's new with you, man? Why don't we uh, get a little update from you? Because I know a lot of our listeners really enjoyed the the Johnny Walker episode and really felt a connection with uh, Johnny. Uh, how is Mr. Codename Johnny Walker doing in America? Johnny is, Johnny is uh, irrepressible. Johnny is, is um, Johnny's doing well. He lives out on the West coast. Uh, we, he has family still um, in, in Iraq and uh, some of whom are in territory that's not very good not very uh, safe for people but uh we he does talk to them regularly or as regularly as they can you know get communications out and they're all live which is quite an accomplishment uh, unfortunately but uh, he's doing great uh we uh that book codenamed johnny walker is in the process of being made into uh, and I'm going to like knock on wood here or cross my fingers uh, kiss all the rabbit's feet and all that other Right. Every other superstition we have. Uh, hopefully, it will be a movie soon. It's um, the script is coming along, and hopefully, it'll be done pretty soon. So, well, I'm, I'm keeping excited. my uh, fingers crossed for you because I think that would Thank work you. very well as as a as a movie, and a lot more people should, uh, you know, hear the tale of Johnny because there's so many tales in war. You know, we we don't get to to see all of them. Absolutely. And uh, what, what's new, Jim? What's on the horizon, my friend? Well, over, at, over um, at your website, I, and uh, which jib are we talking? <laughs> we're talking to me, right? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Mr. DeFelice. That's okay. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, see, Mr. DeFelice, then I'll look and say, Where's my dad? Is he in the room? <laughs> um, Dale Brown and I have a new book, uh, that just came out, uh, called Puppet Master, uh, where it's a, it's a techno thriller. We're mostly known for Dreamland, which I guess we've been doing for. A ridiculous number of years now it's more than 10 which is really surprising and uh so we just we decided to to kind of branch out um so we have a new a new series it's more intrigue and kind of a spy thriller involving high tech and um that's out from let's see who publishes that is morrow or harper collins is kind of the kind of overall parent there that just came out and that's in hardcover and paperback. And then in November, I have a book uh, called Fighting Blind, which is the the incredible. It's it's an incredible story about Ivan Castro, who uh, was a who is rather a blind Green Beret. He was 
He was in action in Iraq and uh, was mortared and nearly killed. Two, the two people who were with him uh, at the time unfortunately died on the spot. Ivan came home and was blind, and when he found out that he was, that he was going to be permanently blind, he was ready to, uh, frankly, he was ready to kill himself. Wow. And his, his wife said, that's not you. You've always been this kind of type A guy. You don't give up. He felt ashamed, really. And uh, he went back to his hospital bed, and as he was going back into his room, he, um, and he, this, he had trouble walking, by the way. His, his uh, legs at the time were kind of shot up, uh, among other, many other injuries. And he heard uh, a nurse and a doctor talking. They were talking about a marathon that they were going to run. And just out of the blue, he said, can anybody run that marathon? And they looked at him like, oh, sure, anybody can run it. And he said, well, I'm going to run it. Nice. And, uh, you know, they kind of rolled their eyes, I guess. And uh, a year later, he competed in it and uh, finished it. He managed uh, with a little chicanery, but, uh, but also a lot of perseverance to stay in the Army. Uh, and uh, since then, he's run uh, 50... It's over 50 marathons. He's been to the South Pole. He went uh, with Prince Harry, as a matter of fact. He's biked across America, and he's uh, planning to go to the North Pole. He says he's going to take me. I, I told him, well, you know, you can ski there, bro. I'm, I'm going in a boat. So, but uh, that's coming out November 15th, and that's called Fighting Blind. I, I got to ask you, Jim, where do you find all these interesting people? Is there like this magical Starbucks near your house that, you know, you just bump into these people? No, it's like the bar. We have the greatest bar in the world in my neighborhood, and they just kind of come in. No, um, what happened with with Ivan? Um, actually, the some of the people at SOCOM, which is the Special Operator Operations Command in the U.S. Uh, military, thought you know uh, it would be a great story, and they. Uh, kind of asked, kind of through some mutual friends, uh, went to Marcus Luttrell, and Marcus went to, Marcus Luttrell, lone survivor, uh, went to Chris, and one of those guys uh, gave, uh, put Ivan Ivan in contact with me, and, um, you know, I'm, I, I'll tell you, he happened to be coming up to, I live in New York, he happened to be coming up, up here, and uh Within five minutes of just talking to the guy, he had so much energy, and uh, he's such a positive uh, life force kind of person right. that it was like, wow, man, I, I just gotta, I'm gonna hang out with this guy. Not, I don't, I, you know, whether we write a book or not, I'm just gonna hang out with him, and uh, he, he's really an incredible guy. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time now with him, and the first time, the first time that I went down to his house. I stayed down at his house for about a week, and the, the first day at six o'clock in the morning, there's this knock on my door. And I said, like, oh, "What's what's going on?" And you know, "Hey, Jim, uh, get up. It's time to work out." I said, "Wow, well, wait a second, man. It's like six o'clock in the morning." He says, "That's right. We're a little late, but that's but I got the coffee going. Come on, let's go." And I said, "Well, you know, I I, I work out and I do work out, but I uh, I work out at night. I even I work out at five. He said, "That's okay. We're going to work out then too." And uh, ever since, so ever ever since then, I've been working out twice a day. Yeah, I need a marine. So he's to, infectious. He's just. I need a marine uh, to meet tell me when to do it. Went to work so. out as well. Uh, I kind of went off track, didn't I? We were going to do a, a what are we reading? But that's fine. That's great. 
That's wonderful. Um, Mr. Greenlee, Ray Greenlee. Yes, sir. <laughs> How you doing? What's on your I'm Kindle? All right. What's on your Kindle, my friend? Yes, yeah, so I got I got to follow the the blind marathoning. I'm a running soldier, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I, it's actually a pretty easy question for me because I am currently working on recording an audiobook, and so I'm definitely reading that. Um, that book is uh, The Great Martian War Invasion by Scott Washburn, <laughs> and uh, it's a sort of follow-up to H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds as a, uh, you know, what, uh, what might have happened next. Uh, Interesting. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun to read. It's um, sort of uh, historical science fiction in a way because um, it's set in that, you know, the 19-aughts. Uh, with like a lot of historical characters like uh, Theodore Roosevelt and uh, you know the Wright brothers and Nikola Tesla, um, but of course it's not purely historical because there are Martians invading, yes. um, <laughs> which did not actually happen. Um, in case uh, there's any Says confusion you. on the matter. Says you. <laughs> you may be in charge right now. Yeah, well, not not in the way that uh, as described in this book. Um, but yeah, I've been working on that for for a few weeks, and I'm hoping to uh, wrap it up by the end of the month. Nice, and uh, hopefully have it out and available next uh, sometime in October. Yeah, you see, Bernard, when I ask Ray what he's reading, he's telling me what he's reading, like and getting paid to read it. That's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, see, that uh, got a sort of works works right in there. Yeah, bonus. So, well, so I, I have a question for Ray, though, since since we're kind of going off track. Do you? I mean, do you always, when you are reading a project for, for work, do you always get into it? Um, you know, have you ever had to read something that you, obviously from listening to this, you really like the book, but mm -hmm. do you have to read books that you don't like? And how does that go? I've been, I've been fortunate so far that I haven't had to read anything that I strongly disliked. Um, and uh, I would feel at this stage, that would be somewhat of a challenge. I mean, it's sort of when you're acting, and it is a form of acting, I'm, I'm not going to put myself up next to Bernard here or anything, um, but, you know, you're always going to end up needing to portray, uh, like, a something that you don't, you know, really connect with, um, but if you can connect with it, it's always, like, a bonus, it's better, uh, and so it's the same way when you're recording an audiobook. If you enjoy the, uh, the material and you appreciate it, um, then, you know, you, that comes through. Um, mm. And if you don't like it, uh, you know, the a professional is obviously still going to be able to put together a good performance, whether they like the material or not. Um, but it just makes it that much easier to have a good product. And I've, like I said, been fortunate that none of the books I've done is something that's like, oh, I can't stand this. And, you know, if it was really like I felt like, you know what, I'm going to struggle with this. And I might have just said, uh, you know what, I think I'll pass on this one and, you know, maybe find somebody who will be able to do um, – to really put their full heart and soul into the project, uh, you know, because otherwise I don't want to end up doing a disservice to the, uh, to the author and to the work by, you know, putting, doing work that, you know, a listener is going to tell that I'm like not fully connected with. Um, but like I said, I have, have been fortunate so far that I haven't had that situation. And, you know, when you read it and you get into it, you read it several times and you really sort of try to get to know the characters, you, you it sort of engenders you to enjoying, enjoying the material and finding the positive and finding the stuff that you can really sink with and uh, and sink your teeth into. Nice, um, Mr. Bernard Rubichaud, what's on your Kindle? 
or on your nightstand? I've just been reading scripts lately, my friend. Um, this is I like I like hearing that because that means I'm going to be seeing more Bernard Robichaux on the screen. Yeah, yeah, probably are quite a bit over the next year. Um, I just finished a pilot called Sea Change, so that's pilot comes out after Christmas. I think they go to camera in May hmm. uh, in the UK in uh, October for a feature film over there. Then back to Toronto for. Uh, um, I'm going to be doing something with uh, Private Eyes with Jason Priestley. And uh, right now I'm reading a uh, script called Shea Bernard. It's a, a comedy um, that was written for for me. And uh, it's about a TV chef that's uh, so supposedly comes out of the closet for the ratings game, but he's not gay. <laughs> that should be interesting that sounds good yeah <laughs> yeah so we'll see <laughs> i'm still in the middle of it right now so uh but so far it's it, it's pretty funny well, actually you know the, the one sentence premise you gave us uh got a laugh from pretty much everyone in the room so <laughs> <laughs> there you go so he, he's like sneaking around on dates with women yeah this is great <laughs> yeah. oh. so uh, yeah, so uh, there's uh, quite a bit going on right now, um, and uh, just been fortunate, you know, really. So uh, lucky to be lucky to be working uh, working actor in Canada. Shay Bernie. <laughs> Bernie, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. I don't know. I know he's looking for. I know he's flashing it, putting it out there, and. Looking for producers, executive producers right now. So um, he just needs me to kind of okay that I'm okay with it, of course, uh, which I'm sure won't be a, it's not really a problem. I'm not, I'm not really one of those actors that, you know, needs to tramp on the toes of the writer. Um, yeah, I, no, kinda, I mean. Uh, I kind of do, I just kind of do my work. I mean, you know. Uh, how, how common you know, is that for actors to, you know, uh, rearrange their lines? I, you know, I think it's it, it really depends on uh, on whether or not the writer thinks that, you know, whether or not your line is better, whether or not, you know, you just need to get from A to B and uh, and it's more uh, from the from the heart and from the gut than just what was written. So I, I think, you know, some writers uh, I've been on set where some writers that have written what they've written is that's what they want. And they, you know, they they're not they're pretty quick to remind you that that's not exactly the line and, you know, whether or not it's, you know, a couple of words different. I mean, I've been corrected before. So, I mean, you know, I give them what they want. I just, right. I'm just, uh, you know, really uh, a tool to be, you know, used to, to compliment. You're a team the, player. You're a team player. You know, to compliment the entire piece. So it's, it's, it's that has nothing to do with me. I just, you know, I'm, they hired me for a specific reason. I, I go in there and do what I, I need to do in order to make them happy. And, of course, the director and the producer's happy. And as long as that happens, I'm good. I'm happy. You know, I did my job. Absolutely. You know, they didn't down, one down and hopefully another one to come because, you know, you did your job the way they wanted you to do it. But it really depends on the writer a lot of times. So, um you know, sometimes you have a lot of like when Trailer Park Boys, we, you know, we, Mike, Mike Clattenburg wrote it all and for the most part, and, you know, we had a lot, most of it was ad-libbed, 
you know, it was just a, it was more of a formula to, uh, to get an end result. So as long as you knew where you had to go. So then, I told you, you have to get from A to B and it was kind of up yeah, to you to. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Mike would get us in a, you know, in one of the trailers and say, okay, uh, start. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I like that line better. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, keep going, keep going. That's kind of how it, kind of how it worked really for a long time. That's great. Um, speaking of Trailer Park Boys, um, I gotta say it's it's a pale version of itself without Cyrus. Are, are we ever gonna see Cyrus return? I don't think so, man. You know, after fifteen years, there really wasn't much I could do with that character yeah. that I hadn't already done or hadn't already been explored. And if you're not going to, you know, develop the character uh, to some degree other than what you've been using him for, to me, that just wasn't right. exciting anymore, you know? Yeah. Maybe maybe he needs to come out as gay. <laughs> and, and, as a chef. Gay chef. For ratings. <laughs> he carries a gun on. <laughs> carries a gun in the kitchen. Uh, yeah, no, that's a great I, I just pictured you pulling a gun on, uh, <laughs> pu- pulling a gun on like Chef Ramsay. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, instead, instead of yelling at him, I just shoot them on the spot. <laughs> that's terrible, Putin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dang, there you go. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't <coughs> I you know, really, I just um I'm good with not going back. And, my, and you know, my agents and management in Los Angeles were I think they really wanted me to move on too. You know, it's, right. it was just the time. You know, the worst case scenario would have been that um you end up doing nothing but trailer park boys and that really wasn't what I was wanted to do anyway that's that's just not right. i couldn't do it I, I mean i had a hard time doing theater because of that because you're doing the same character day in and the same lines over and over and over again and yes and there's some growth within that process but ultimately you're just doing the same character with the same lines so right i don't know that i even if they wanted me back i don't i don't think i could i mean you know, maybe for appearances and things like that, if they, you know, wanted to have an ensemble thing, maybe, but... Uh, yeah, they, they, they still do the live shows, don't they? Same thing, I just don't, you know... I mean, had they decided to come to me and say, you know, in season nine before it was over, you know, next year we're going to bring in Mini-Me, and, you know, with a little guy with a pleather jacket on and a squirt gun, he's going to sit next to you in the Corvette. Now, that could have been interesting. <laughs> said, yeah, you know, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> there, there probably would be a, a lot of resistance within the fan base to making any kind of changes to your character anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's been, you know, I think the, I think the fans themselves just enjoyed the character being there. I think that just the obscurity of the character, but it, its popularity speaks volumes. No pun intended, because we're on <laughs> this show, but, um, yeah, I... I think, I think the character did what it did for a long time, and it and it was and it was done for me after season nine. And I don't, you know, that the writing just wasn't exactly the same because Clattenburg was gone, right? And so, you know, I really liked Mike's writing. Mike was Mike was 
Mike knew how to take it to the edge and still leave enough imagination for the viewers, whereas I find the new writing is just a little bit more blatant. Right. <laughs> it's really in your face. And uh, we didn't need that for a long time, so I, I'm not sure why they changed it, but, I mean, that, you know, uh, the three boys own it now, so it's, it's not even something to talk about. Um, but for me, you know, um, to not be kind of typecast and the obscurity, I, I was grateful. But to go any further, you know, you might take the chance that, you know, because of the Internet and, and Netflix and being in 28 countries in syndication, you know, the the problem is that now you, you're taking a chance that that's maybe all you're going to end up doing because everybody's going to say, what's Cyrus doing in that show? Right. Why is he shaving hard? <laughs> He was never gay in the in Trailer Park Boys. I mean, right? You know, there's just I don't want to take the chance on that. It just just doesn't make sense. And, there's and so it's many not like more it's great projects. There's it, so many more great projects out there and indie projects and new TV series that are really interesting coming out. It just you know that just hey, it would take away everything that I you know believe in when it comes to creating a character. So. You know, 15 years, you know, um, I'm good. I've got the T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, but good point. Good point. He, he, he was there. He fulfilled his purpose. He did, yeah. yeah. I, think he, I think he did. And very well. You know, in, in season nine, when they put him back in jail again, I thought, you know, this is, a perf- this is perfect timing. Yeah. You know, he's, he hasn't been killed off. So he's just kind of out there somewhere, you know. Absolutely. Uh, which kind of leaves it for the fans and stuff to think that there may be a chance that he'll come back, you know. Um, right. You know, well, you never know. There, there might be. Right a... now that he's not going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they reincarnate him somehow. Uh, they find a lookalike Cyrus, uh, possibly. I don't know. But uh, myself, though, uh, no, I won't be going. <laughs> I just pictured a Cyrus Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cyrus Jr., yeah. My long lost twin brother. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Um, I've been reading a bunch of books. Um, Let's see. Mr. Jimmy, I believe you and uh, Craig both did receive a copy of the Pizza Bible as well. I'm eating my way through it. Yeah, I'm eating my way through it too. Uh, uh, Bernard, Ray, guys, Jim, this, I'm getting fatter because of this book. (laughs) <laughs> there's some great uh, Tony it's hard it's hard to even look at the book and not want to order pizza because it looks yeah. like a pizza box every I time you don't need a book to entice me to order pizza yeah <laughs> totally but every time I turn the the page and go on to the next chapter it's like oh I got to do that on my pizza now all right that sounds pretty tasty and uh there's some great tips in there so does this book just the book sits on a coffee table I guess it's kind of like a coffee table book. Yeah. it turns into a coffee table <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you, you Some could... people walk in and they think, man, that guy's a slob. Look, he's still got the pizza box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does look like a little pizza box. Um, but it is a pretty heavy uh, hardcover, and it's got lots of great pictures on it, too. Although my pizzas never look like they're nice pictures, but I'm trying. I'm trying. So how did the uh, sourdough pizza with the cheese bottom turn out today? Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> uh, next time I'm not sprinkling cheddar on the bottom. But I am definitely putting the cheddar along the edge of the pan just to get that cheddar, like crispy cheddar crust. But I, I, I did put cheddar on the bottom. It was a bit too much cheddar, just a bit too uh, too much bite to it. 
You know, cheddar's not a very good pizza cheese. No, but it it helps you not just eat down to the crust and want to just toss it away. Oh yeah, totally. You get to the crust and it's it's like a treat because it's got all that nice crispy cheddar cheese on it. Totally. Because I, I've tried, you know, the stuffed crust. I've tried making the stuffed crust, but you still end up with that boring crust just past where the cheese is embedded. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. We'll talk. Uh, we'll be talking to Tony, I think, next episode. Tony Geminiani. And maybe by the time he gets here, I'll uh, know how to pronounce his last name properly. <laughs> I think it's Geminiani. The Pizza Bible. Check it out. Available where fine giant books are sold. <laughs> um. I think we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back with Bernard, Jim, and Ray Greenlee. Jim DeFleece and Ray well, Greenlee. So what? You don't care what I'm reading, what Craig's reading? Not really. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading, man? Well, I, I just, I just, I'm very similar to what uh, Mr. DeFleece is doing. I, I'm wrapped up. Thank you. Thanks to the the long-gone 10-year-old TV show Deadwood, which I continually watch over and over, spotting new nuances and different interactions between characters that were unnoticed, thanks to uh, the Hooplehead podcast, which is um, two guys that have started watching Deadwood and going through it episode by episode. One guy who's seen the entire thing and another guy who's never seen it. They're watching it going through each episode and bringing up things I'd never really thought about interactions between people even just single lines and little looks that people give each other and it's made me want to watch the show over again and i'm hoping to get the guys from the hoople heads on here um but today only because i was watching deadwood again um i got very interested in the character george hurst because he was a you know rich guy the guy that his son's the reason we don't have marijuana um and, uh, speak started, for yourself. <laughs> hey, all right, there. Don't rub it in there. <laughs> um, I started looking up information about the Comstock load, which is the biggest silver uh, strike in American history in Nevada, which back then was like the Iowa Territory. It was you know, before the Civil War, I believe. And uh, I found this podcast just searching on Google. It's called The Drift and Ramble podcast, and they have a three-part series about the the Comstock load and, and the people who discovered it, and turns out the two guys who may have found it both died, um, not under anything suspicious. One guy hit himself in the foot twice with a with a pickaxe and died a lockjaw, <laughs> yeah. and his brother, you know, froze to death, and the guy who they left uh, to watch over the cabin while, while they struck out um, for California again, uh, he sort of found out like a year later, these guys are both dead. He went back out to where he knew these guys were, found the place, sold it to somebody for $10,000, and they ended up pulling $500 million worth of silver and gold and, and lead and other metals out of this thing. So wow. I'm on the third part of this uh, three-part podcast, Drift and Ramble. It's really interesting the way it's done. It's kind of like... Uh, it gives you the feeling of a, almost an audio drama. Right. And only listening to two podcasts, uh, I'm really excited to go back and see what other kind of subjects they've covered. They're up to like 170 episodes now. So that's Drift what I'm reading. And Ramble. Interesting. Craig, anything on your uh, Kindle? No. 
I'm not reading anything. There you go. <laughs> Jet set. I, I, I could say I'm listening to a podcast like Jimmy and claim that it's reading, but I want to respect <laughs> the authors that we have on the show and not do that. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? It's Max from the Blind Hour Podcast, and you can check us out on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. Don't forget to send us a message, blindhourpodcast at bhmold.com and on Twitter, tbhpodofficial. All right, and you are listening to The Book Guys Show. Hello, this is Brian Brushwood, host of Scam School, and I dreamed the dream of the perfect book show. And when I woke up, it was The Book Guys. I love you. Why don't you call me anymore? All right, let's do this. Winging it as usual, folks. You should, you should embarrass Bernard and play his little bumper. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do that. Which one? The Bernard or the Cyrus? Oh, I'll do the Cyrus. But we haven't sworn today. That's okay. iTunes won't know. All right. <laughs> just throw yeah, it this is going to be deep in the episode. Yeah, I, I, the iTunes is not <laughs> listening. Apple, no. It's not like Tim Cook's, Tim Cook's listening to the book, guys. Uh, here we go. Hi, this is Bernard Robichaud. I play Cyrus on the Trailer Park Boys, and you're listening to the book, guys. No, that was the clean one. I got to start over. You know, <laughs> I know. I, we, we, let's throw, here we go. Hi, this is Cyrus from the Trailer Park Boys. Fuck up, I got work to do. And you're listening to the book guys. Book guys. And we're back. We don't know what we're gonna talk about, but we're back. And we have we're a great group. Great group. Bernard Robichaud, Jim DeFelice, Ray Greenlee, Craig Damlow, Sir Jimmy. Hey, let's talk about uh Mr. Greenlee. Uh I did listen to one of your narrations recently. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sci-fi authors, and uh, Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick. So much great stuff that uh, even today is 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 you know spawning from his writing. Great TV shows, movies, um, wonderful. And this is a great collection of stories. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it was it was pretty fun because uh, these are all uh, public domain stories of his that have been have come out, and so I wanted to do this uh do this collection so i got to go back and make those selections and pick pick the ones that i that i wanted to do and the ones that i thought would be fun and uh and so it was a, a whole process for me of of reading through a whole bunch of his stories and like oh this one like i really like the uh the description of this one i'll have so much fun narrating that and uh and then recording it and putting it in there and then it's like all right let's find another one to do yeah, and the title is uh, of the collection is the Unreconstructed M and Other Stories. You mm-hmm. can find it on the Audible. Ed- well, yep, Audible, I- iTunes, and Amazon. I have a question for you, Ray. Do you do you get or solicit feedback from the authors whose work, obviously not in that case, but in other <laughs> cases where, you know, whose work you've read, and what sort of reactions do you get? Um. Well, some of the uh, work that I've done so far has been basically directly, you know, the contract initiated with the author. Uh, uh-huh. So obviously in that case, um, I do get a lot of, um, I work very closely with the author to uh, to try to produce the best book. Uh, in situations where I'm working with a publisher as opposed to the author, uh, it's really the, the publisher's um, sort of deal. Mm-hmm. And so you got to be kind of careful about you know, going over their head, like to go directly to the author. It's the sort of thing where, pardon me, if I wanted to get some information, like on the one I'm working on now, um, there was uh, a bunch of really weird names. Uh, I think it was mentioned earlier. It's uh, 
based on um, H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. So there's Martians in there. There's Martian names because you get right. ch chunks of the book from Martians' perspective. Um, so, was, so I wrote the publisher and said, uh, do you know if there's a way that the author wants these pronounced or can I just wing it? And then he came back with a whole list of names with pronunciations. Sure. And I didn't talk to Scott directly about that. And then I haven't exactly asked, like, hey, do you mind if I contact him directly? Because, you know, I sort of have my publisher contact. But I would imagine that there are certainly situations where the publisher will be like, yeah, sure, go ahead, talk to the author. Um, but as uh, I've heard in other case situations, there's uh, the publisher is like, uh, no, don't talk to the author. You talk to us and we'll tell you how we want this book produced. Well, I always, yeah, I, I always appreciate the the actor asking questions like that. I mean, that's really super, and um, especially when I haven't haven't even thought of how the name should be pronounced. But I, I have to confess that I, although you know, I've been often asked, well, which of these, you know, which of these actors do you, you know, would you prefer read the book? And you know, you listen to you know their samples, and they're all fantastic, and you can't really pick or, or whatever but i've i've never been able to li i listen to audiobooks but i can't listen to an audiobook that's one of mine because it's very strange when you're writing or when i'm writing you know i kind of hear the book in my head and hearing somebody else saying it you know it's like i'm having a nervous breakdown i i, I know what the those are those words are so familiar but that's not me i what's going on so yeah i would imagine it would be a very surreal experience and hopefully um the authors that i've worked with have generally been pretty pleased especially when i'm working directly with the author they have to approve it so they kind of have mm -hmm. to listen to the whole thing but at the same time you know it's sort of like um you know, I would imagine the same thing as a scriptwriter giving something to actors. It's like you put the the writer puts the words on the page, but then it's my job to bring those to life, and so that's that's sort of my expertise. And uh, and some authors don't always have the best instincts for how it actually sounds coming out, and so it's I would imagine is is definitely I would think I'm not an author, I'm not going to speak from direct experience. Difficult for them to be able to sometimes let go of like what that sound is in their head and say okay, no, you take it and you do your job and to make it sound great for the final audience. But yeah, and then then to hear it and then have that sound in your head and it's like not lining up, I would imagine could be could be pretty jarring. <laughs> yeah. uh, but hopefully you still appreciated the narrations that were done. Uh, at, I'm 100%. Sure that, um, whether I've listened to them 100%, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think it's always tough... Um, I, I think this is fairly universal. It's always tough for anyone creative to sort of consume their own work. Um, I know I have to listen to my stuff, like when I do some of my own editing, and it can be a challenge. I've gotten used to it, but the final product, I've sort of started listening to my own stuff. It's like, uh, no, I can't. I can't listen to this. <laughs> I yeah. Need to I, I mean, I, I've to listened to voice. one episode of uh, Book Guys, and that's the one that I, I believe it was Craig and uh, and Jimmy did it on their own, and I. It was like great. I'm not, it's a, listening to new content, great. But I never listened to an episode after it's uh, been aired. Yeah, I don't know, Bernard. Do you uh, watch your own shows? I don't watch anything. I'm in. <laughs> there you go. Never That's a shame because Haven was a really nice series. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I. It is. Yeah. No, I. 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 I can't do it. I did it once when I first started years ago, and I invited all my friends over, and then I watched the show, and I said, Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'll be doing that again. <laughs> it's just. I, you know, I, find, you... I find it very strange to watch myself on uh, on uh, film or on TV. You know, even when I've gone to like the red carpet for the last trailer Park Boys movie, I, when I knew my scenes were coming up, I just kind of looked down at the floor. <laughs> I, I think you know they hire you for a reason, and uh, that's how you get the job. And after the director says, "Okay, cut, check the slate," I'm good. Yeah, I figure they, you know, they got what they needed, but to actually see how the end result is put together, it's never really quite the same. Anyway, you get a picture in your head of what you think they would have used, and then, you know, <laughs> now today with digital cameras, they can pretty much put my head on a black bear's body, and you know, and, <laughs> you, know you end up looking like that. I mean, it could be bad. So I just, uh, I don't, uh, I, I don't know. It's just something. It's very strange for me to. To uh, even when I've caught myself like a couple of times, you know, uh, just, you know, walking by a room or something and, it, you know, you see yourself in a glance and it's it's just a strange feeling. Um, I know there's lots of people that do watch watch themselves and uh, or, or watch audition tapes over and over again and, you know, try to figure out why they didn't get the role. And I'm thinking, you know, it's not if, healthy. I don't think it is. I, I really think I. I don't think it is. I, I don't know why you would look at that and try to second guess the choices that you made going into that. You know, a lot of times producers, directors, they have something in mind altogether. So, you know, they're, they're, you know, the casting director brought you in there because, you know, they know what you can do. And, you know, the mere fact that you got the audition should be enough. Um, but to second guess your choices and to try to determine how you could have made that better. Um, you know, even on the day when you go in there and you have everything ready to go and you do your audition, you know, you generally you don't get two and three shots at it unless they really like what you did the first time and they ask you to, you know, can you do it this way or, you know, they give you some direction. And, uh, you know, and if you're a good listener, then you pick it up and you, you give them what they want. And, you know, that's usually a good sign um, that you've done something right. But um, to second guess all that stuff, I know I, I don't know if it's narcissistic or if it's just I don't know what the word would be for that. But uh, you, you're right, though. I don't think it's healthy. Um, and I'm I've. You know, really, even if I get an audition, you know, for me, it's just kind of like a moment where I get to, I get to work. I may not be getting paid, but it's, you know, I, somebody out there liked me enough to bring me in for that audition. And uh, it's, uh, you know, my 15 minutes that I get to make those choices that I think are right for the character when they give them, when they give me those sides. Because, I mean, it's pretty broad, right? You get the sides, you get a little bit of a character breakdown. And you have to make choices from whatever's there, which generally isn't that much. So, I mean, you know, the choices that you make, uh, you better stick with them, I think, you know? Yeah, because uh, so how, how, how vague are they sometimes with the character descriptions? You know, I, I had an audition the other day. I had like eight pages. They gave me, they gave me a... They gave me 24-hour turnaround to memorize it all. Um, I had maybe three, three or four lines of description of the character. That was about it. The rest of it, I just have to pick up from what I can read, from what's there written for the character, and what's maybe there for, 
you know, I read the entire sides, you know, not just what they, you know, send you and and say, oh, start here and here, because generally sometimes there's there's stuff um, in descriptions or interior exterior stuff, you know, where they're giving you a breakdown of, you know, other characters, which may, you know, give you a better idea of who the character, who you are. So I think you have to be careful when you pick those up and, you know, not just memorize the stuff that you need to take care of, but you need to read it thoroughly because I think I had probably those eight pages, maybe 80 lines to memorize for in 24 hours. So, it's, you know, it's, it's you got to have, you got to have a good memory. <laughs> no teleprompter. You know, Boy, I, I, I have trouble memorizing my phone now. Kind of <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to kind of been able to pick the words off the page and kind of make them my own in a hurry. And then, you'd have to. And then it's a question, and then it's just a question of rereading and just picking out where I went wrong, and then just kind of making note, mental note of that as I'm reading. So um, yeah, uh, so, yeah, yeah. It's it's not uh, it's not easy. Sometimes, you know, when you have the quick turnaround, I mean, I've had as much as 11 pages on a 24-hour turnaround. Uh, last time, 11 pages, I had it, I was a, actually, it was in a, an interrogator uh, for a uh, uh, special forces interrogator. I had a guy in, in the prison, he was, you know, uh, all over, and uh, it was pretty much an 11-page monologue. That was wow. probably the toughest audition I've ever I've ever had, and I think I got eighty-five percent of it. You know, I mean, now, it's, why, why does it come out that there's a? Why is there a twenty-four hour turnaround? Why? What? What circumstances come about that that happens? That it's so sudden? I, I'm not sure. I, sometimes, I, you know, because sometimes, oftentimes, you get like two or three days. Um, I think sometimes it's just they want to see what you can do in a short period of time, just to see what you know what the actors will do. I mean, in that short of time, they're really under crunch usually anyway, so they're only going to bring in maybe a half a dozen guys to read for the part that they're looking for. Um, and I think in my in my head, I mean, because I don't get to talk to the producers or the director when they make those decisions to for the quick turnaround, but. I would think it's to see how quickly a guy can turn it around and and uh, see what he can do with it in such a short period of time because there's an awful lot of preparation involved to do that. Um, so it's like a little test. I I think it's got to be because I don't know why uh, why I don't know any other reason why you would give uh, a seasoned actor like that short a period of time. You know, if, um, rather than give them you know, the three days where he can memorize the heck out of it and, uh, and um, you know, make all kinds of different choices and then choose the best out of those for depending on this, uh, what's happening within the dialogue and, and um, you know, the emotional uh, properties of the words that are going on. I think, you know, 24 hours, you have to make some quick decisions in a hurry and and get it done right yeah i, I saw i saw a documentary on some mexican on the mexican daily soap operas and they're I don't like do mexicans i know <laughs> <laughs> but but they're those are written the night before 
and they're actually fed to the actors. The, the, the first time the actors experience anything to do with the script is it's, the lines are fed one by one into their ears using an IFB or some kind of device in their ear. Well, that's mm-hmm. got to be awful, you know, and they're recording live to tape. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask a question for, I think Bernard and Jim might both be able to answer this. How much is a page? Like how long is it in the scene? In, in, that's obviously a huge generality, but a typical, uh, typical page, how long would that be? Um, a couple of minutes, maybe. Uh, usually, if you got ninety minutes. If you got ninety pages in a script, you can pretty much. I mean, depending on choreography and what's going on, but I would say that most most is two minutes. Probably more. It's probably more like one. So ninety pages, ninety minute script, ninety yeah. minute. You know, usually, so. figure about if it's di- yeah, it, it depends. You know, if you have a scene where you're describing. You know, if you're describing a lot of action, you know, something, a lot of stuff on camera could last for quite a while. But ordinarily, um, you know, you figure a minute, about a minute a page and, you know, and you format it so that it's reading roughly, you know, in that area. I, I, I thought Bernard was actually very being very generous saying that, you know, that there was actually a plan that they that he got it so late. Whereas, you know, I, I, I would suspect that some writer just kind of finished it then. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's quite not. possible. Too, yeah, <laughs> hopefully I mean, not. Yeah, hopefully not. But I mean, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I, like I said, I don't, I would, I don't know that end of the business. I'm not sure that I, I mean, aside from writing comedy myself and, and doing it on stage or something, I, I'm not sure that I'd, I I want to know all the ins and outs of the political aspects of the of the business so much as I just want to be. <laughs> you you just want to enjoy the the, the creating part of yeah. it is uh, you know I mean creating part of the writing I mean creating it as an actor in front of the camera I mean everybody's got their own you know are creating to some degree I guess within the whole you know crew and and uh, cast but. Um, yeah, for me, yeah, you I don't just, need to, I just don't really need to bring that fight. Yeah. yeah, I just really want. No, I don't, and I just really <laughs> want to bring the character to life. You know, I, that's that's the that's that's the fun of the of being offered the role. You know, uh, it's like, oh man, like yeah, I can really sink my teeth into this character. You know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the whole just be able to take those words off the page and and make them come alive. I mean, that's that's. Uh, that's an incredible, incredible gift to be given, and uh, and, and at the same time, uh, quite an honor, and you know, quite a humbling that you were chosen to be that 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 actor. So, always grateful for uh, for those that have given me the opportunity. That's for sure. And to maybe wrap a little bit back around to. Um... Who were talking about the auditions and and worrying over why I didn't get a role? I've I've done a little bit of theater myself, and um, whenever I don't get a role, I mean, I watch the end product because this is a local theater here, and I say, oh, well, because the entire rest of the cast was like fifteen or twenty years older than I am, so you know, going stressing over why you didn't get it. Usually, there's probably eighty percent of the time it has nothing to do with your performance. It has to do with all the rest of the stuff that you have no control over. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, yeah, so stressing out about oh, why didn't I get it? Well, it's, it's you know who knows? You know, it's maybe because the person that you were going to be playing against just wasn't going to mesh with you, and has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, then when you when you do get a role, like um, and again, I, I'm have have very little <laughs> in connection with with Bernard's experience except for my small uh, my small theater acting, but you know it's you, you really have to appreciate and and respect that you were the one that fit here and to to honor that and to you know give it everything so that it can become what was envisioned um, and do your part for it. That's how I feel about mm-hmm. it anyway. Yeah, no, quite, no, yeah, no, exactly. There you go, Jim. Once you uh, once you start casting for Johnny Walker, uh, there, there's two right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, they they uh, usually <laughs> you have to understand something about you know Hollywood and uh, when you specifically if you've written the book, um, sometimes you do a screenplay, but if you ha- if you're not the person that's doing the screenplay. You know, this is what, you know, what they want. They're very, very, very polite, very nice to you. Say, come visit the, you know, come visit us on the set anytime you want. Come have a coffee. You know, and they, you know, you go out there and, you know, you go in a nice little golf cart and they drive you around for six, seven hours. You hit the craft table and then it's time to go home. So they, um, (laughs) you know, they. You know, it's uh, not looking for feedback. Well, you know, film, uh, film especially is a director's and an actor's medium. And um, I I think that, um, you know, I I think if you're, you know, if you've written a book, it's a different, the difference between books and screenplays is, you know, it's very subtle in some ways and it's huge in others. And, you know, you have to let the artists like Bernard, you know, they, they do their thing and they need, they don't really need, <laughs> they don't need your help or interference. They, you know, they, they have to deal with the director and, uh, you know, what else is going on. So. There's got to be a little, uh, you know, nervousness. Well, I think that, the, you know, the writer sometimes is, you know, pretty close to the director anyway. So the director is there to give you the, what he wants. And that's sometimes a collaboration between, you know, uh, the director and the writer, the director and the screenwriter, you know? Um, sure. Know. Yeah. So totally get it though. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jim, at any, at any point, do you feel nervous that there's uh that they're going to like uh, world war Z uh, one of your, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like I'm just picturing Max Brooks, you know, being invited to the set of world war Z and just, you know, <laughs> smacking Brad Pitt. <laughs> well, I won't, I, I, I actually not, not on that. I do, I do, <laughs> I do some video games and, um, there was one game I helped develop and, um, I made the mistake of, of sitting in on the recording session and, uh, you know, and they're reading lines and all of a sudden there's lines there that I didn't write. And, uh, you know, so we took a break and I'm talking to the producer, what the blank, 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 blank. Oh, well, we thought these, we thought these lines would, would work because, you know, we were a little short on the audio. So, um, so the experience can go up and down. Well, anything that involves a lot of people at some point, you know, <laughs> yes. you, you, well, you that's, know, it's going to change. A, uh, Paul, I think if, um, Brooks had visited the set of World War Z, he would have assumed they're making a different movie. Yeah, totally. 
And you would have gone home, looked at the check they gave him, and said, I feel better now. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for our listeners who might not uh, know what we're talking about, World War Z was a book that was actually based on, uh, I believe it was World War II interviews with uh, World War II soldiers that the author turned into uh, an anthology of uh, zombie war stories. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the movie, uh, although uh, Brad Pitt did buy the rights, probably just to get the title. The, the the truth is though i mean it, you know as i was saying i mean it's a different medium and um you know people like bernard i mean it, it's just amazing it's a, it it's humbling really to see what you know see what other people you know do with you know the seed that you planted and um you know and when it's great it's great and when it's not you know you just you just walk out of the theater and say, well, I got to go find out where the nearest bar is. That's, you know, whatever. Find the bar. Well, that, they, not necessarily you're the writer's fault though. You know, and when they, when you do write walk out of the theater, it may not be your fault. Was, you know, the writing was probably great. It's maybe just the chain of events that happened after that. And hopefully you got enough money that, you know, you're not really going to worry about it. It's like, <laughs> Uh, I notice, uh, Mr. Dufelice, that uh, th- there is now an audiobook. There was not one when we uh, first talked, I believe. It was still wasn't out yet. And that's read by Peter Gainham. And uh, yeah, and that was that. Yeah, that and that's you know kind of an amazing uh, process. I mean, he he actually in that case we were talking about collaboration before. He um, spent uh, you know time talking to um, talking to. We we're talking about. Uh, codenamed Johnny Walker. Yeah. And um he he spent, you know, a bit of time uh he was a little nervous about it, but I spent a bit of time talking to talking to Johnny and just to kind of pick up it, it's tricky. Johnny English is his second language. And um yeah, you know, the book is I couldn't duplicate the way that Johnny really speaks because it would be very difficult to follow reading, and I had to come up with uh, different strategies how to convey that in the, the writing. And just like that, uh, you know, the actor, the voice actor, uh, I thought did an excellent job. Um, the the tiny little snippet that I listened to, because I didn't have a nervous breakdown. But um, you know, he spent a lot of time kind of you know theorizing how he was going to convey that. Nice. That's great collaboration between the uh, author and the narrator, and everything works. There you go. That's what they claimed they do, they were doing. I don't know. You know, they may just have been <laughs> drinking. You know, for all I know, just just down at the pub. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a lot of fun, guys, talking acting and books and scripts. It's great, Mister Jimmy. Absolutely. Oh, I forgot. There's two Jimmys today. Oh, there's a Jim and there's a, a Jimmy. Jimmy's here. Jimmy. Should I press the button? Hit it. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Bernard. Uh, where can folks find all that you are doing, sir? Uh, well, usually I just post anything that's current coming up on uh, Facebook or tweet it, you know. Um, I think uh, anything like sea changes is on my IMDb page, and I think there's a page for it as well. I don't know how what it gets into, but they check the IMDb. I think it'll tell them whether or not it's in pre-production or post-production and uh, that sort of thing. So they can check that out. All right. I'll put a uh, link to the IMDb for Sea Changes. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, and Mr. DeFelice. 
Uh, well, let's see. I got a Facebook page, as I guess everybody does, and uh, uh, website, jimdfleece.com. And for Fighting Blind, we have a website that's uh, www.ivancastrofightingblind.com. It's very, you know, really original title on that website, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> if you, hopefully it comes up if you do a search. So. Very nice. Mr. Greenlee, where can we find all your narration and acting uh, wonderfulness? Uh, well, I do have a Facebook page as well, uh, Ray Greenlee VoiceOver. It's also my website, uh, raygreenleevoiceover.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at raygreenleevo. And if you just search for Ray Greenlee, that's G-R-E-E-N-L-E-Y, on Audible, uh, you will see the books that I've done. And uh, if you would like to check them out, say, use that free credit you got by going to audibletrial.com slash bookguys. I would be most appreciative. Very nice. Who would I miss here? I've missed someone, haven't I? Mr. Jimmy Goots, where can they find you on the Twitter? At hollowbooks.com. Nice. So we're not using that free hollow books anymore. Like free is gone, right? No, I still got both websites, oh. but uh, uh, every, all the action is moving to hollowbooks.com. Yeah, I hear the money's in not free. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's come, what come they say. Come buy a book. I'll cut a hole in it uh, so you can hide your gun. That's right. That'd be cool. Oh. Mr. Damlo, what's what was our uh, la- what was our latest uh, soapbox rocket about? Soapbox Rocket was uh, the, it was a follow up to the last one of how your restaurant's going to fail when you start your own restaurant, whether or not you're straight or gay. Uh, how's it going to fail? <laughs> okay. Or pretending to be gay, depending on this the uh, situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> of course, uh, you're Craig D on the tweeters. I'm... Yes, and and I also would like to point out I do have an internet uh, movie database page. You guys can uh, look me up there. Oh, nice. Look at that. <laughs> Very nice. Well done, sir. Uh, we will check that out, and we'll put up a link to, to Craig's IMDb page, of, of course. We'll have to do that in the show notes. <laughs> it's been a lot of yeah, uh, fun talking with our panel. They can find us at uh, reddit.com slash r slash bookguys, right? That's right. That's right. Go to bookguys.ca to find our episodes, and you can go to reddit.com slash r slash bookguys, as Jimmy said, to uh, post any book news. And any book news we find there, We'll talk about it on the show at some point, maybe. <laughs> All right, time for the lullaby. Let's do it. Hey, and uh, if you are going to buy some ebooks, go to ebooks.com. Use the Book Guys coupon code, which is Book Guys Show CP, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. Just saying. See you next week, folks. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guys Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel.